welcome to the Psychology of Successful Women podcast, where we explore the mindset, behavior, and success strategies of high-achieving women. It's an inspirational show that helps ambitious women to maximize their performance from the inside out and thrive in the world of business. I'm your host, Shona Rowan, high-performance coach, inspirational speaker, and author of the book, The Psychology of Successful Women. On this month's episode of the Psychology of Successful Women podcast, I had a really open and engaging conversation with Christine Mellis. Christine is a barrister. She practices in public law, including inquiries and inquests. She's presently counsel assisting the Special Commission of Inquiry into LGBTIQ hate crimes in New South Wales. She's advised and appeared in a variety of high-profile matters, including the Lint Cafe Siege Inquest, the Takata Airbag Inquest, and the Victorian Bushfire Royal Commission. Chris is passionate about gender equality and diversity. She has served on a number of boards and committees, including Australian Women Lawyers, Victorian Women Lawyers, Victorian Bar Council, and Women Barristers Forum. Chris wants to see more women in positions of leadership and for working mothers everywhere to be seen for what they are, resilient, efficient, diverse, and empathetic powerhouses. We spoke about her career journey, all leading up to her current role as a barrister at the New South Wales Bar, her personal advice and suggestions for dealing with challenges and setbacks in her career, how she navigated an interstate move and raising two young children while still growing her practice and creating a deeply fulfilling and successful career, the importance of knowing yourself and reconnecting with your core values, passions and goals for your career, and so much more. So Christine, welcome to the Psychology of Successful Women podcast. I'm really looking forward to speaking with you today. Thank you, Shona. I'm really glad to be speaking with you too. Now, you've had a really varied and dynamic career. Could you tell our listeners about your career journey and some of the matters you've worked on, all leading up to your current role as a barrister at the New South Wales Bar? Yes. So, um, I mean, I graduated from Monash University in Victoria um, with an arts law degree, and I always knew that I wanted to do law in particular, I wanted to be an advocate. So I always saw myself at some point in my career journey as being a barrister. Um, To get there, though, there were a few steps along the way. And I did my traineeship year, what they used to call articles, at a big tier law firm at Minter Ellison. And it was just a dream, really, to um, be trained up in a big law firm back in those days, as I'm sure it still is now. And I enjoyed my time at Minters as a junior solicitor and I, I worked in various areas, including employment law, um, administrative law, um, even project finance, which um, I never thought I would, but I gave it a go. Um, and But I did realise after a couple of years that I wanted more out of my, my career and I, in a way, I got a little bit lost, if you like, in that in my in my journey, I got to a point where I thought I would leave the law altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt a little bit disenchanted by it all, um, and that it wasn't what I thought it would be. And it was thanks to um, a barrister, a female barrister, who I used to brief quite a lot, who actually steered me back on the right course and gave me a bit of advice at that time, and basically said to me you know, what is it that you're passionate about? Um, Because you don't want to throw away up to that point seven years of of law um, for nothing without trying something new. And 
I, at that time, she, she suggested I apply for an associateship with a judge in a court, which was something I had actually never thought about doing. And it was really um, a deal breaker for me in the sense that it got me back into, mm-hmm. um, got me passionate again about the law. I worked with a Supreme Court judge, um, Justice Kavanagh, who um, it was his, he had just <clears> been appointed <throat> to the bench and I was his first associate. So it wow. was like blind leading the blind um, <laughs> in this beautiful old, you know, building the Supreme Court of Victoria. And I stayed mm. with the judge for two years, which at that time was quite a long time to stay with a, with a judge. But I just loved it so much, being able to sit there with him, observing barristers, um, presenting their cases to the court, and really... The penny dropped for me that, yes, that is something that I can do and that I want to do. So I naturally then had the confidence to put my name down to join the Victorian Bar, which I did, and I I went from there. I went to the bar. I practised in Victoria for uh, just over five years. Um, I had a varied practice in essentially public law, doing a lot of coronial work, um, and administrative law work, judicial review, for example. Um, And I think after about five years, I did start to get itchy feet again, which has been a common theme in my journey. Mm. Around the, you know, three to five year mark, I start to really think, right, uh, where am I at and where am I going? Um, And that time coincided with my partner, changing careers himself, going from law to journalism, and it took him to New South Wales. There were a lot of opportunities for him there. And I made the decision to come up to Sydney and really do a reconnaissance of the Sydney Bar to see whether um, this was a marketplace that I could join in um, and whether I could see myself having more of a national practice as opposed to just a state practice. Um, and I've been here ever since. Um, so that was back in 2014 when I came up to Sydney. And it's been, it allowed me at that point in time in my career to really think, it gave me an opportunity to redefine my practice um, and to expand my legal network, which I think sometimes when we're in one place for a long time, we, might, we may become quite complacent. We don't necessarily think about other things we might want to do with our career, but making a move like that geographically uh, allowed me to uh, redefine my practice and do more of the things that I was more passionate about, and that included particularly the coronial work and doing a lot of council assisting work, um, doing um, disciplinary work, particularly with doctors, um, and working more on inquiries and royal commissions, for example. Um, It also allowed me to um, work on um, Australia's first um, terrorism-related matter, which was the Lint Cafe Siege Inquest. Um, that was a matter really that was my first big matter in Sydney and it's what ultimately anchored me to the city and um, and it gave me also a real interest in terrorism matters, which I, I now also practice in. So that's a long way of, 
of putting of saying where I'm at now, and I'm currently um, counsel assisting in the Special Commission of Inquiry into LGBTIQ hate crimes, which was a special commission um, erected by the Perite government earlier this year. Um, and that's just been a dream opportunity for me um, to work on something so significant and to bring about potentially a significant change and, 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 and closure to some of the families who have lost people to um, potential gay hate crimes. Wow. Yeah, you've had such such an impressive and dynamic career and I every time I talk to you, I love hearing more about the things you've worked on and been involved in and you've already started sharing lots of things I'm going to dig into more, Christine, as we go around that sense of feeling lost at some points in your career but then receiving some great advice which made a real, you know, a really big difference for you and helped you move into a different sort of area and that sense of redefining yourself and at points getting it to your feet. So I'm going to dig into some of those things as we continue on. So I guess linked to that, one of my big goals with writing my book and, and my intention behind the podcast was really helping other people build a successful and fulfilling career on their own terms, whatever success means to them. So I'd love to know what does success mean to you, Christine, at this point in your career? At this point in my career, I'd say success to me is working on matters where I can affect change in people's lives, where I can affect affect change at a policy or systemic level, and doing so um, whilst enjoying uh, my family, my young family. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, and I have you know, I've brought them along my journey the whole way, right from birth. And I feel proud to be able to share with them the kind of work that I do, even at their young ages. And, you know, each of them can parrot that their mum is a barrister (laughs) and explain what that means. And to me, that is a form of success as well. So really, Shona, working on matters that I feel I can affect change and doing so, um, as you said, on your own terms, and in my case, doing it with the support um, and love of my family and also being able to give time to my family as well and not, not making work the be-all, end-all of my entire life, but incorporating it in a way where, um, you know, it, it's, all, it's all enjoyable and fluid um, and neither work nor my family is, is pulling me back or keeping me away from one or the other. <clears throat> I really like what you said then about affecting change and I can I can really relate to that in my work as my career's gone on that sense of having an impact in creating change and I like how you said then like with your small family with all of that like you you are doing that you're not giving up one for the other so I think you're a really positive and inspirational role model Christine I'm sure to so many other women uh, that see you and hear of your work and, and get to work with you. So, I hope so. I hope so. I know you are, and I'm sure after this podcast, more women are going to listen and hear about you and think, wow, I can have a really prestigious and amazing and diverse career doing all this really powerful and significant work, like you said, but also having a family and your husband and your children. And, you know, you've found your own mix where neither one is having to sacrifice for the other. So, yeah, no, I love, I love, that's why I love sharing these career stories, right? Because it shows other people all these different ways that they can create a career that they love and have that fulfillment and that success that they would like. So one of the things you and I have spoken about before is the importance of knowing yourself and understanding yourself. 
Can you share more about this and why you think that is so important in terms of, you know, career success and fulfilment? Tell us a little bit more. It's it's vital. And I, I know, Shona, you and I have spoken about it so much and the, the the inner dialogue that you have to have with yourself ought to be ongoing and and constant in my case. Um, and it's only been through times of real prolonged reflection that I have come through uh, times where I have felt overwhelmed or lost or um, unable to see the the pathway forward and I think and, and you have you know you once told me you know why don't you try sitting down and actually writing down thoughts you know almost like a stream of consciousness sometimes and doing it in a place where you feel most relaxed and comfortable and for me that that's the beach that's sitting you know mm. close by to the ocean um, I feel calm and I'm able to just just stop and actually go back to first principles, if you like, about what what it is, what is it that I value in my life? What is it that I'm grateful about in my life? And what are some of the things that I would want to do in my life? And it doesn't need to be immediately. It might be, you know, further down the track. But actually sitting down and asking yourself those questions um is is quite telling i think and has really helped me in understanding and reflecting on who i am and i think um that has for me personally been important uh particularly during covid times and um mm. being at home during homeschooling and literally juggling that with practice at home and doing court appearances on the screen and it's all just felt so overwhelming at times that you know I there were moments where I put my hands up in the air and just said I just don't think I can do all of this I I I feel like I've lost the way why am I doing this um it's just become a you know a job for me and that I think is another reason why it's so important to know yourself because for me personally I don't want to just be doing a job I I want to be I don't want to even describe it as a job I want to describe it as um you know a, a body of work um a a, a a passion a passion project um it's it's an integral part of who I am um, in my day-to-day. It's not just something that pays the bills. And I think if, you know, my advice to listeners is if that's how you're, you know, what you do feels like to you, then that's a time to really stop and really reflect on is it the right, is it the right way for me? Are there other things that I can do to enhance what I'm doing? Um, are there other um, avenues that you might be able to open up by thinking more broadly because professionals especially we we have so many skills so many skills and sometimes we might think that they're just used in our day-to-day work but we can use them in so many other arenas 
Um, and that to me is also part of, you know, really knowing yourself and how you can use, in my case, how can I use my advocacy skills? It doesn't need to just be in the courtroom. It can be through volunteer volunteer work. Um, it can be through doing yep. things with the school uh, and parents. Um, it, it, it can be in so many other arenas. You shared so many great things in there, Christine. I was taking some notes, but around that sense of really checking in with your inner dialogue, you know, what's going on, what am I thinking, and link to that, that sense of reflecting. And I do that in my own life. I share it with all my clients, but that sense of getting some quiet time, finding a space where it's just you and your thoughts and you remove all those kind of outside noises and, and like you said, tap into, like, your values and your passions and and that sense of identity. I like how you talked about, you know, your career is bigger than just a job, and it's the same with me and I think many people listening in, you know, we spend so much of our time working really. It's so much more than a job. It's it's who we are. It's what we do. It's what we bring into this life. So I love that sense around make sure you reconnect in with your values, passions, and identity. And now as a high-performance coach, one of the things I specialize in and I love helping my clients with is dealing with challenges and change and setbacks and when things don't go to plan, and you've already mentioned COVID, so could you tell our listeners about one or two of the maybe specific challenges you faced in your career and how you overcame them or how you responded to them? Sure. The first thing that springs to my mind, Shona, is my move to Sydney. Mm. That was by far the most challenging um, part of my journey so far. I must say I'm a very positive and optimistic person, or I like to think I am. And when I moved to Sydney, I came without kids. I didn't have any children at the time. And I just thought that it was going to be quite easy and fluid for me to go from one jurisdiction to another. Um, I was, I, I like to think I'm very good at connecting with people and networking. And when I came to Sydney, I literally only knew a handful of people. And that was through um, some advocacy courses I had done, um, you know, in the just in the couple of months previously to coming to Sydney. So that was really my starting point. And I had to grow my entire network and practice in Sydney from scratch. And that was only part of the battle. The other part of the battle was the negativity um, that I faced through other people, both um, in Melbourne and in Sydney, people telling me, oh, what, you're, you've uprooted and you're going to another city and you're going to another bar? Why? Why would you do that? It just all seems too hard. Um, I got met with a lot of that, a lot of it. And I couldn't understand at the time why that was the case because if I ever heard of people doing something like that, like challenging themselves and going elsewhere or going overseas and trying something new, I was always so, um, you know, I, I always admired that and congratulated people on, on doing that and always thought about asking them how they're doing it, how their journey is going, how I might be able to help with that. But um, that wasn't always the case um, in, in my transition but thankfully, there were, there are always um, few, a few people that, you know, share your optimism and want to help you and want to open some doorways for you. And sometimes it might just be a crack in the door, but it's enough for you to put your foot in and speak to the next person to open that door a little bit wider until you actually are fully in. <laughs> so, um, you know, that that for me was my biggest challenge. Um, 
building my network and from that then building my practice. And then even when I felt like I started to do that, I then fell pregnant with my first child. So the next challenge for me was, uh, you know, figuring out how I was going to do that, how I was going to maintain what was then still uh, a new practice in a new city, but then also with the newborn child and trying to, you know, understand myself as a mother and as a professional and the identity crisis (laughs) that came with that. So I think really those two events, the move to Sydney, um, the development of a practice that I was proud of and the welcoming of my first child into that mix that brought that brought a lot of challenge it brought a lot of um, self-reflection and it also brought for me I think a deeper understanding around people my profession the importance of um, what you've previously called you know having your your tribe having a group of people, it might only be a handful, it might only be two people that you can uh, lean on, that you can call for advice um, and that can help you on that journey along the way. And I've, I've got to be completely honest, I got to a point because when I first transitioned to Sydney, I was going back and forth between Melbourne and Sydney and I was travelling a lot and that was also taking its toll on me as I was trying to juggle two practices in two cities and I I remember I still remember to this day having this conversation with my husband in the car as he dropped me off at Chambers in Sydney and I you know I was almost in tears because things weren't going the way that I thought they were they ought to be going in Sydney it was was, everything was taking much longer than I anticipated I hadn't I felt like an outsider I felt like I hadn't gone to uni in Sydney. I didn't have, you know, high school friends like others did. I just didn't have that posse. And I remember saying to my husband, I think I think we need to put a deadline on, on this, on, on our time in Sydney. I think we need to put a deadline in place, work towards that deadline. And if things haven't worked out the way that we want them to, then we shouldn't be, you know, feel bad about, moving back to Melbourne and going, look, we gave it a go. It didn't quite work out. And I remember as soon as we made that decision and we put that date in our diaries, um, it just, it's like that fear went away and it just then became about, right, I've got three months. What can I achieve in this finite period of time? And I remember getting this renewed energy, you know, my to-do list larger I just went in there and I said well I've got three months I've got an end date um and you know Murphy's Law in between that period is when I I got the Lint Cafe siege inquest and everything just turned around so I know there's there's a lot in that um but I think definitely my takeaways from that whole experience is keep going um don't necessarily listen to negativity around you. Build your own resilience. And if it's something that you want to try and you want to really give it a go, then put in place the structures and the timelines to do it yourself and on your own terms. And if it gets to a point where you have tried but it hasn't quite worked out the way that you've wanted it to, then know that you can always fall back on what you've built 
uh, before you and perhaps try a different route. Wow, you shared so many things there, Christine, and I loved hearing both of those stories. And I can relate to the one around move. And I'm sure so many listeners, you know, so many people are moving now. They're moving states, they're moving countries, they're moving mm. to sectors. And that sense of having to start again or rebuild your network or reestablish yourself. And I've done that twice, as you know, when I moved to London in 2006 from Perth and then moving back, having been away for so long, was like essentially starting again. You know, I hadn't run my own business here before and I wasn't working in sort of the business world. I was working in education and at a university and I did feel the same as you, like I had to really start from scratch and it can be really tough. So for everyone listening in that's going through changes or thinking of a relocation, um, I loved your advice around things like keep going and don't listen to the negativity because there's always going to be positive people and there's always going to be people that maybe share their own fears and doubts around something and find structures, find support. And I liked how you said you put a, a process in place where you gave yourself that deadline um, and went, you know what, here we go, I'm going to give this a go, but if it doesn't work, then the pressure's off. And I think that's a nice, a great strategy around um, dealing with change perhaps that a lot of people can take on board. I'm curious, Christine, do you have just a go-to strategy like in a moment if something happens and you have a bad day or something happens with a client, do you just have like a quick strategy you could share with everyone listening around just like what do you say to yourself or what do you do or if you've had a terrible morning and then you've got to go to court, like have you got like a, a strategy that you use to help yourself just bounce back in a moment? Honestly, I always just say to myself things will get better um, and they always do. As in <laughs> whenever something bad happens, you just got to, for, for me, it's I've just got to accept it. It's happened um, and I've got to say things can only get better from here things will look better tomorrow mm-hmm. and they always do. And rather than, you know, dying a thousand deaths at that moment, it's just not going to get you anywhere. So my quick fix for me is to say, right, it's happened and I obviously do need to reflect on it and learn from it. I might not do it at that exact moment because I need to keep moving. I need to get to court yeah. or I need to move to the next meeting or whatever it might be. Um, but in my mind, I think I'm at the stage now in my career and at my age where I, I think I can safely say to myself, it's not as bad as you think. And, mm. I, my, my, you know, almost 100% of the time that is the case. And I think for high performers, um, you know, professionals especially, we are really hard on ourselves and yeah. um, we never give ourselves any leniency and, we can't do that. We, we, we're we only human and we're going to make mistakes and we aim not to make mistakes, certainly not mistakes that are going to have a detrimental effect on ourselves or our clients. Um, but, you know, things happen along the way and sometimes they they're out of our control. And I, and I really do think that if you're conducting yourself in a professional way, in an ethical way, um, and you're doing so with the best of intentions, then any stuff up or mistake that might come along the way, it's going to be a blimp in the scheme of things because you're always trying your best. So, um, yeah, I really do. I just accept it and I will later reflect on it, um, but I will, to get me through it, I will say to myself, it's, it's probably not as bad as you think right now. Mm. Oh, I really like that. And the self-talk piece, Christine, is so huge, right? So you move from acceptance into that supportive self-talk and I like when you said it's never as bad as it seems because that sense of catastrophizing, I talk to a lot of my clients oh, about. catastrophizing. So, yeah. And I, 
And I have That's to still watch myself, watch myself for doing that. You know, we jump to those worst case scenarios. And like you said, most of the time, it's never as bad as we think. And you look back at it in a few hours or a few days or a few weeks, and it's just a tiny little blimp, you know, in, in the greatest thing of And also yeah. doing when you might be tired or fatigued. I mean, we know that whenever that's the case, if we've had a big day and, you know, then we're juggling kids in the evening and we're thinking about something that happened during the day and we're tired, it's just going to seem worse than what it is. So better to just sleep on it and reflect on it later. Such great advice around resilience. Now, I'm sure you've received lots of advice in your career, Christine, and feedback from people and mentoring and coaching over the years. I'd love to know what's one of the best pieces of career advice you've ever received or something someone told you and it just really, it really stood out. I'm I'm really, Shona, it's what we've already, you've already asked me and that is um, define your own success and, Mm -hmm. and, and work against your own definition. Uh, I remember a partner at a law firm um, telling me that, very, very early on in my career. And whilst I didn't necessarily grasp an, an, a proper understanding of what she had told me at that time, that really has taken on a new meaning for me as I've gone through the various stages of my career and and, and grown my family as well. So actually define what success might mean to you. And that definition changes through time and through circumstances. And that what that really had, when I reflect on that piece of advice, it makes me realize that I shouldn't, I shouldn't, for me, I shouldn't be comparing myself to other people. To do it, to do that is to compare myself against somebody else's definition of success. And that might not necessarily gel with, with me or, or be my, my pathway in life. So it all comes back down to, yeah, defining what it means to you at a particular point in time and being fluid in that definition, but really living by it and, and being proud of it, that at this point in time, this is my definition of success. This is what I want to achieve. This is how I'm, I'm living my life on, on my terms. So that definitely has been um, a guiding um, beacon of advice in my life. And it's taken on more and more meaning as the years have, have gone on. And I think it has particularly resonated since having children. And I just really, I mean, I really want to use this opportunity with you, Shona, and with your listeners to to say that, um, you know, having children and having a professional pathway in life um, is definitely achievable, even with all the challenges that, that come with it. But, you know, as a woman and as a mother and as a professional, you should be defining how you want and, you know, that dynamic to look. And that should be part of your definition of success. Your family should be part of that definition, in my view. Um, and it should be done the way that you you want it to be done. If you want to take two weeks off after having a child and, and get back into the courtroom, so be it. Let no one judge you for doing that. If you want to take 12 months off to spend time with your newborn, um, so be it. Let no one judge you for doing that. It needs to be on your terms and what makes you feel comfortable. If you think that, like me, that, I, you know, when I had my first child, I thought, well, I have to take at least six months because that's what's the norm and that's socially acceptable and that's what I have to do. Um, and I did that 
and, you know, halfway through I realised, hell, I really need to do some other work, then feel confident to do that without judgement. Um, it's got to be on your terms and on your definition of success at that point in time. I love that. And I talk about it in my book about, you know, what does success mean to you? You have to think about that because my whole job as a coach is helping people achieve success. But if they don't know what success means to them or what it feels like and they get stuck in those comparisons, then the whole thing can come unstuck, right? So I I love, love that. And that point around it can change. It has in my own life, like you said, it has in yours and things happen, personal things happen, professional things happen, different life stages, moves that definition changes. So getting really clear on that and and staying connected to it when it does change and honouring that. Well, look, Christine, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I always enjoy speaking with you and thank you for being so open and honest about your career journey and, you know, the good bits, but also some of the challenges that we all face. Um, I look forward to sharing this with our audience and I really look forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much, Sean. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you and to, to you and your listeners. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for listening to the Psychology of Successful Women podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button or go to psychologyofsuccessfulwomen.com to download our free ebook and access a bunch of other resources. See you on the next episode.